Well, good morning, family. I think before we go into the message, it's good for us to go to the Lord. Let's go in prayer. Father God, what a good day. Good because we are here with you. Good because we are here celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His death paid for our sins. His resurrection has guaranteed the sacrifice is sufficient and our resurrection, our eternal life guaranteed. What good news that is. We think this morning of uh, the Hulseys, our dear, uh, dear family, as even this day it appears that uh, her homegoing will take place, our dear sister Barb. We pray for a peaceful passing for her and your grace with the family. Father, we thank you as well for the resurrection as it reminds us that on that day when everything had seemed lost, Jesus was crucified, his body in the grave. He burst forth in victory. Evil did not win the day, but Christ triumphed. We live in a world where there is much evil and it's easy for us to look around at the wickedness around us and say, the world is in such a mess. All is lost. But we have a risen Savior who is returning one day. He will judge the wicked and bring in everlasting righteousness. How we long for that day. In the meantime, Father, you give us the blessing and privilege of living here as your people on your mission. And I pray you would use your word this morning to encourage us, to instruct us, to challenge us or reprove us if we need that, to encourage us if we need that. So, Father, we ask your grace and blessing, for we are a needy people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is where I would usually ask you to turn in your Bibles. I can't think of a Sunday where I haven't done that before. Well, I can, but there's only been about three in the last 15 years. And they're like today, where we are going to be all over the New Testament. Uh, So if you need to turn to a passage, uh, so you just feel good, I would suggest either Mark 16 or John 6, because we'll end up there. But this morning we're going to take a little journey as we think of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Perhaps one of my favorite portions of the resurrection account is in Mark chapter 16, and it comes down to just two words. But before I tell you what those two words are, we have a story to to review. And it is, this morning, a tale of two followers, two followers of Jesus Christ, and we often call them disciples. These two men were disciples of Jesus from the very beginning of his ministry. And for some three years, they, they traveled with Jesus, they followed Jesus, they witnessed marvelous, amazing things. They saw Jesus heal countless numbers of people from all sorts of maladies. They witnessed 
blind people being made to see. They witnessed deaf people being enabled to hear. They saw the lame, the crippled, walking and healed. They saw lepers who were cleansed. They even witnessed at least two people raised from the dead, like Jairus' daughter and Lazarus, Jesus' friend. They watched Jesus turn water into wine. They saw Jesus walk on water. They saw Jesus calm a tumultuous storm with just a word. On at least two occasions, they saw Jesus miraculously feed great crowds of people. One occasion, you'll recall, there were 5,000 men, the Scripture says, meaning that when you add in women and children, probably 15, 20,000 or more people that Jesus fed with just five loaves. And we see that word loaves, we need to think really biscuits and a couple of fish. And as he blessed the food and broke it and handed it to the disciples and they passed it out, you'll recall that when they finished and they had fed everyone and they were fully satisfied, there were 12 baskets of food left over. A mighty miracle. These two men were around to hear Jesus' teachings day after day, place after place. Hour after hour, they heard Jesus teach. We're in the midst of a study on Sunday mornings, just not today, but we've been going through and we'll continue for the next month. We'll be going through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaching there. It's a marvelous study. These two were there for that day. On at least two occasions, Jesus sent his disciples out on preaching tours. And these two were there. Luke 9 describes the first of those preaching tours. It says, and he, that's Jesus, called the twelve together. And he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom, the kingdom of God, and to heal. A couple of verses later, it continues, and they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So not only did these two follow Jesus around and learn from Jesus, hear his teachings, on at least a couple of occasions, Jesus sent them out and they became the preachers going throughout the villages, preaching and teaching what they had learned from Jesus and teaching of the kingdom of God. And not only did they witness Jesus working miracles, but they themselves, as they went out on these, on these missionary trips, these preaching trips, they themselves worked miracles of healing and casting out of demons because Jesus had given them the ability and the authority to do that as they went out on these missionary journeys. These two were there just a few months before Jesus' crucifixion. They were there in the little town of Bethany when Jesus raised His friend Lazarus from the dead. They were there 
a couple of months later, six days before the crucifixion, it was a Saturday, they were back in Bethany, there again with Lazarus and with Mary and with Martha, his sisters, at a dinner that they had put on in Jesus' honor. During that dinner, you recall that Mary took a jar of very precious perfume and poured it out upon Jesus' feet. You recall that scene. Wiped him with her hair. Both of them were there the next day, what we now call Palm Sunday, as they were going from Bethany and coming up the road to Jerusalem as crowds began to form, massive crowds of people who began looking for things, grabbing palm branches, whatever they could, to wave and to celebrate. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. People began to take their coats off and they began to lay them on the, on the road in front of Jesus as He rode along on a donkey, creating a carpet. And everyone was shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Welcoming Jesus as Messiah, honoring Him as the promised One of God. These two were there. These two were there the next day on Monday as Jesus comes in to the temple which has been, is loaded with, with money changers and, and crooked merchants. And Jesus goes through and cleanses the temple of this charade, of this circus that's going on what is to be, should be a house of prayer. That in itself was a miracle. They were there as Jesus taught daily in the temple. And as He stumped the religious leaders who had tried to entrap Him. Then on Thursday, the night before Jesus' crucifixion, both of these men gathered with the rest of the disciples and with Jesus there in the upper room to celebrate the Passover together. Now, everything I've said about these two men, these two followers, these two disciples, could be said the same of all twelve of the disciples of Jesus. All twelve of that inner circle of disciples. Could be said of all of them. But it's on this night, it's on this night, on Thursday night, that something sets these two apart from the rest. Both of these men were held in high regard by all of the other disciples. And on this night, Jesus has something special to say to each one of them. Now, the dinner that night in that upper room was not what we often think of. When we think of that night, we think of Da Vinci's Last Supper. It wasn't like that. For one thing, they weren't seated in chairs at a long table, all on the same side. Nobody eats like that except bridal parties at a wedding uh, reception. (laughs) No, they were most likely, well, not most likely, they were definitely reclining at the table. The Scripture tells us so, which was customary at the time, something perhaps like this or like this. They're reclining there on their side, usually leaning on their left side, laying down and then eating with their right, with their right hand. 
The disciple John, the scripture informs us that he was reclining to the right of Jesus. So as Jesus is laying here, John is here. His, his back is to Jesus. To Jesus left or behind him, there is Judas. Matthew records of that evening. He says, when it was evening, he, Jesus, reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? John, in his gospel, adds this. says, one of the disciples whom Jesus loved, he's speaking of himself, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So Jesus is here. John is here. Peter's over in front of John. And he, he's motioning John. John, ask him who it is. So that disciple, John, lean, leaning back against Jesus, says, Who is it? Who is it, Lord? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. So Jesus takes the morsel, gives it to Judas. Now, Jesus has, John has leaned back. Jesus whispers this to John, says, it's to whom I give this. John is going, okay, Jesus, behind John's back, dips it and gives it to Judas. John doesn't have a clue. I know that because later on it says no one knew who it was. One of our two illustrious disciples that I want us to note this morning is Judas. Judas is one of our illustrious followers. And Jesus has just told Judas that he will betray him that night. Judas was one of the ones, like all the others, who said, Lord, is it I? And Jesus said, yeah, you've said it. We usually think of Judas as the worst of the worst, the villain of villains, the dastardly Dan, you know, of, of evil people. But that's not how the other disciples viewed Judas. They respected Judas. They trusted Judas. How do I know that? Well, he wasn't just a member of their group. He was their treasurer. And you don't let somebody hold the purse, hold the money, unless you trust them. And how much did they respect Judas? They respected him a lot. How do I know that? Well, I infer it from the text. Jesus has just announced, one of you, one of you twelve, are going to betray me. And everyone's asking, who is it? Who is it? Is it me? Is it me? Right after Judas says, is it me? And Jesus says, you know it. Jesus announces, Judas, what you need to do, go do quickly. And Judas leaves. John's account continued. After he, Judas, had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are doing, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this. Some thought that because Judas held the money bag, Jesus was telling him, 
go buy what we need for the feast. Or that he should give something to the poor. The big concern among the disciples is, who is going to betray Jesus? And Jesus says, Judas, what you need to do, go do quickly. And not one of them questions, is it Judas? The thought was unthinkable. He's the guy we trust out of all of us. You know, I can see it would be you or you or you, but certainly not Judas. They thought he was telling Jesus, you know, hey, we just ran out of Dr. Pepper. Run down to the quick trip and pick up some. Because we can't continue without that. I assume Jesus is a Texan, by the way. <laughs> the national drink, soft drink of Texas. No. Judas, it was true, he was going to betray. But none of the disciples understood that at the time. Unbeknownst to them, Judas had already cut a deal with the enemies of Jesus. And he was being used, as we just read, as a pawn of Satan. Matthew tells us, then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, this had happened days before. He went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I deliver him to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now, Judas is gone. But the meal continued for a good while. Jesus had much to say. We don't have time to go into that. A marvelous section there in John but after the dinner, Mark describes what happened. And when they sung a hymn, he went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, to Peter, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. The disciples still have no clue about what's to happen that night. But Jesus knows. And he says, you will all abandon me. And Peter, good old Peter, always the first one, almost always the first one to speak up. So, uh-uh. Not me, Jesus. Not me. I'll never do that. If you haven't figured out yet, Peter is the second illustrious disciple that we're focused on this morning. And Jesus has some words for him. Before the morning arrives, you'll deny me three times. Peter, of course, says, no way, Jesus, not me. I'll die first. Count on it. Peter is the outspoken, de facto leader of the disciples Judas is their trusted and respected treasurer 
And Jesus has just predicted the unthinkable. Both of them, before this night is over, will betray Him. Jesus led the group through the streets of Jerusalem, down across the Kidron Valley and up the side of the Mount of Olives, making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, where they would often spend the night. Jesus was going there, we know, to pray. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. In Mark's account there that night, we read, Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, he's talking to the officers, the soldiers, The one that I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him, to Jesus at once, and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. Peter, impetuous Peter, does what he said he was going to do. Jesus, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with you to the end. I'm never going to deny you. I'm going to stand up for you if I have to die. And he grabs the sword and goes to fight. And boy, he has big visions of taking off a guy's head, splitting him down the middle, and he misses. It was a valiant effort, but rather, uh, well, poorly executed. (laughs) He gets an ear. And Jesus said, no more of this. No more of this. And he touched the ear and healed him. Jesus is then arrested. The disciples all scatter, just as Jesus said. However, two of them, John and Peter, follow at a distance. They see Jesus being taken to the house of the high priest. There he was interrogated and abused before the other trials come up. John has some connections. John knows someone there and John and Peter come up and John is able to get them into the the residence past the gate and into the the high priest's home. John's gone through. As Peter comes through, there's a servant girl there. As John tells us, the servant girl at the gate said to Peter, you aren't also one of his disciples, are you? I am not. They get inside the the compound there. Some of the servants and had built a fire because it's a cold night. Peter goes over there by the fire with them. They can kind of see Jesus inside. There by the fire. Another servant girl says, Yeah. You are one of his followers too. And Peter's, no, I am not. Luke tells us that after about an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. You can tell by his accent. It's like somebody from Alabama or New York 
We can pick them out of a crowd. Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And as it were, time stopped. Because right then, as Peter looks up, Jesus looks right at him. He turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Despite all of his professions of love for Jesus and that he would be loyal till death, Peter denied and forsook Jesus in front of a little girl. And when it really mattered. So much for being the rock. That nickname Jesus had given him. Petros. Peter, you are the rock. He folded like a taco. He's devastated. Crushed. He really blew it this time. Matthew's Gospel tells us that when that second little girl said, you're one of his disciples. Says he took an oath. <laughs> and then when the third person said, certainly you're one of them. Matthew's gospel said he swore, not meaning he cussed, meaning he, he swore curses upon himself. Saying, in other words, may God damn me if I am one of his followers. That's what he said. Talk about blowing it. He failed Jesus. And like it always seemed, Jesus was aware of everything. Right when Peter had his worst moment, he looks up and there's Jesus looking at him. The one person that you said you loved more than anyone, the one that you called Lord, Master, The Son of God. And you just said, I don't know Him. Cursing while you do it. How do you live with that? Wallowing in His grief, our distraught friend drops off the scene, off the radar, until my two favorite words in the resurrection story come up in just a bit. Judas also was monitoring the events, what's going on with Jesus that night. He's watching what happens there in the high priest's home. He observes what goes on in the trials. There's much we don't know. We don't know really why Judas betrayed Jesus. The Bible doesn't tell us. But we do know that Judas had been uh, tried to profit off of Jesus. When we look in John chapter 12, it informs us there that, you see, not only was Judas the treasurer, but it was discovered after the fact that Judas had been helping himself. He'd been embezzling funds, funds that had been given to support the ministry of Jesus and the disciples And Judas was lining his pockets and his bank account. And we know that Judas has betrayed Jesus for money. So certainly part of what's going on with Judas is he's been captivated, ensnared by greed. 
and personal gain has motivated him. We don't know what Judas expected to happen when he betrayed Jesus. Perhaps he thought that Jesus is going to, you know, I'll betray Jesus to get some money here because they're looking for somebody to pay. But what will happen is Jesus will do what he's done before. There have been some times where people have tried to get him and he just slips right through. Jesus has all kinds of power. We've seen it. Maybe Jesus will do some great miracle. He'll finally put His amazing power to some good use. And He will finally exert Himself as, and assert Himself as the Messiah that He claims to be. In fact, that night when the, the soldiers arrived there in the garden to arrest Jesus and they, they said, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And He says, I am. You remember what happened. They all fall down. But a perfect time for Jesus to run off. And he stands there. And Judas is probably going, what? We don't know what he expected to happen by his betrayal. But whatever he thought would happen before, he is now horrified. And filled with remorse as he looks at the battered and bloodied Jesus condemned to die, to be crucified. And Judas is distraught. Scripture says, Then when Judas, Matthew 27, the betrayer saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind. And he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders and said, I have sinned. I have betrayed innocent blood. And they looked at him and said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. Throwing down the pieces of silver, there in the temple he departed and went away and hanged himself. Judas was filled with remorse. He tried to unring the bell, to undo what he had done, but it couldn't be undone. Just like Peter, Judas is overwhelmed with his guilt, so much so that Judas then goes out and commits suicide. Two followers of Jesus. Both have been with Jesus for about the same length of time. Basically, they have heard and they have seen and they experienced the same things. Both knew the, the Bible and both had been preachers of the good news of Jesus and the kingdom. Both were highly regarded by the other disciples. Both had worked miracles. And both failed at a critical time, betraying the Lord of glory in His death. And now Judas is dead. And he is lost. He's going to hell. How do I know that? Jesus says so, John 17, verse 12. 
What about Peter, though? And that brings me to my two favorite words in the resurrection account. Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome, the three of them are headed to the tomb to go anoint the body of Jesus. As they arrive there, they discover that the stone has been rolled away, which was a little relief because they were wondering how they were going to get that thing moved as they were traveling there. They get there and they go inside and they're startled because when they go and they look, they see a man, a young man dressed in white. He's an angel. And he says to them, do not be afraid. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The two words I love that are among my favorite of all are the two words, and Peter. Go tell his disciples, and Peter. Why did Jesus add that? He didn't have to say that. He just could have said, go tell the disciples. And Peter. That's not how he said it. And Peter. Why is it significant? Because Jesus is saying, you make sure Peter gets the message that I'm resurrected. Because the point is, and he's forgiven. Wait a minute. Judas betrays Jesus, and he goes to hell. Peter betrays Jesus, and he becomes the hero of the church. And he goes to heaven. Is that right? Why? How is that right? Well, some might say maybe it's because Judas was used by Satan. We read that earlier in the accounts that thereafter he took the morsel that Satan entered into him as he went out and betrayed Jesus. So that's it. But if we know our Bible very well, we know there was a, an occasion where Jesus was talking to his disciples and he, he told them that he's going to be rejected by the, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And he will suffer and they will kill him. But he will rise again in three days. And Matthew records what happens next. Jesus has said this to the disciples. And then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. <laughs> Saying, Jesus, you're wrong. <laughs> oh my. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus turned and said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. You see, yes, Judas was used by Satan. So was Peter. Right there. So what's the difference between Judas and Peter? Why is one in hell and one in heaven? What's the difference? That is the six million dollar question. And the answer is incredibly important. 
because it affects our own eternal destinies. What is the difference between the one in hell and the one in heaven? We find the answer. I mentioned John 6. We're there. John chapter 6. That's where we find the answer. There in verse 47, Jesus has been teaching a crowd of followers. There's a large crowd of followers of Jesus. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. A few verses later, Jesus said this. He said, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. John gives a little editorial comment. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him talking to Judas. Judas did not believe really in Jesus. Just before those verses, Jesus had taught some very hard things that the crowd didn't like. They didn't understand. They were grumbling. And it says that, that then people, most of the crowd just started to walk. They couldn't take his talk, what Jesus was saying. They began to walk away. And Jesus turned to the twelve and he said, you aren't going to do you want to walk away as well Simon Peter got to love him speaks up notice what he says lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the holy one of god see what's the difference between Judas and Peter Judas didn't really believe in Jesus. Peter did. Why is one in heaven and one in hell? It's not because one was a better person than the other. It's not because one failed less miserably than the other. The difference between Judas and Peter was their belief in Jesus or lack thereof. Two important takeaways this morning as we wrap up from the lives of these two followers of Jesus. The first is that there are people who are like Judas today. People who play the religious part. They go to church. They listen to sermons. They put some money in the offering plate. They do Bible studies. They have Christian bumper stickers on their car, maybe. They look like good Christians and people think wonderful things about them. But in reality, they're on their way to hell. Because as the old saying goes, just because you're in a garage doesn't make you a car. Just because someone is in church doesn't make them saved. See, Judas... Looked right on the outside, but on the inside, he had no heart for God. He didn't really believe Jesus. His interest in Jesus extended only to what he could get from him. And as long as Jesus fit his plans, he was willing to follow along. But there came a time when he said, Jesus isn't going the way I'm going. He had never really believed Jesus in the first place. 
The sad reality, there's many people in churches today all over the world celebrating the resurrection of Jesus who have never really truly believed Him. They've just been playing a religious game. They are moved more by love of themselves rather than love for God. This morning, don't be a Judas. I hope no one here is a Judas. You've never really trusted Christ. You've just been going along with the crowd, but never really owned Him. As Peter says, as the Holy One of Israel, my God, my Savior. The second important takeaway is this, that Jesus came to rescue sinners, not perfect people, not even good people. He came to rescue sinners, people who've blown it, people who've blown it often and blown it big. In other words, you or that person next to you. That's why Jesus came. Peter wasn't saved because he was good enough. He was as bad as Judas. He was saved because he believed Jesus. His heart was right. Jesus knew his heart. In the garden Thursday night, Jesus spoke to Peter and he said, Peter, the heart is willing, but the flesh is weak. He knew his heart. He believe, Peter believes, but he just kept tripping and falling. Sound like anybody you know? Jesus came to give grace and to salvation to any and to all who will trust in him. As Jesus said at the beginning of his ministry, John chapter 3, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. What a great tragedy it would be if there's anyone here today or anyone watching at home or watching this on a video later. You go to church, you do religious things, but you never really trusted in Jesus. Own Him as your Savior, as your God. Judas was sorry for what he had done. But he never trusted the only way out. Peter was sorry. But he'd been trusting Jesus. And Jesus said, Peter, you're still the rock. That's a whole other story. This is another favorite part of mine in the resurrection account. We'll save that for another day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reminder. This great reminder of your grace that you came to save sinners. And there's a whole lot of them in the Bible that are pictured for us. Big sinners that you saved. And there's a whole lot of big sinners in this room whom you've saved. But there might be someone listening who is a big sinner, but they have never trusted in Jesus. Not really 
Maybe they've even been playing religious games. But they know that it's only been a game. They've never really owned you as their God, their Lord, their Savior. I pray that even on this Easter day, this resurrection day, that will change. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.